Well, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us online and for letting us into your home. We have a great, great Sunday in store. As you can see, I am joined by a few friends today who by faith are socially distanced six feet in Jesus' name. And as restrictions are beginning to lift, we wanted to welcome some friends to be a part of this recording. And if you are on the other side of the screen thinking, man, that looks like fun. I wish I could be a part of experiencing church like that with other people. Well, you can't. In fact, there's a few ways that you can. Now, truthfully, I just wanted people here because I was tired of staring straight into a camera and I wanted to have some energy in the room. But part of the reason we have friends here with us today is because we wanted to model for you what we want to invite you to be a part of. And what I want to ask of you is to not watch Velocity alone. I know that so many of you have real, incredible, and deep friendships in our church. And I know some of you can't wait to be around your friends at church again, and I am right there with you. But since our buildings are not open yet, in the meantime, I want to encourage you to invite some of the people in your life to experience church together. The truth is, church has never been and will never be a building. And I know we all know that, but church is not an hour worship service either. The church is the people of God coming together to worship God and live out his word. And as our world is taking steps to integrate into a new normal, I wanted to encourage you to gather in small groups with people that you already know and be the church in this season. Now, if that's something that you're interested in, we're going to have a lot more information this week. But for right now, you can simply go to our website for all the information that you will need on that. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I really would like that, but I don't know anyone yet. Well, that's why we do groups at our church. We've had our groups meeting online during this entire pandemic. I've jumped into many of the groups myself, and I can tell you they have been a lifeline for so many people during this time of social distancing. And our next group semester is gonna be kicking off starting next weekend. The good news is all of our groups are gonna be launching virtually to start. So you don't have to worry about going to anyone's house that you don't know. You can meet people and make new friends from a safe distance. And this is cool because this is the first time we've ever done church-wide summer groups. And these summer groups are gonna be a ton of fun. Even my wife is leading a group, I'm leading a group, and my wife is leading a group specifically for women who want to lead Radiant Groups next fall. I'm going to be doing a fan favorite leadership coffee, if you have ever been to that. And we're going to learn about leadership together and drink coffee. It doesn't get any better than that. And I just want to highly encourage you to prioritize these kinds of gatherings, both groups and watching church together with friends, as we make our plans to move forward in this season. Now, you're probably wondering, what is our reentry plan? Well, I put out a video earlier this week on social media and our website outlining our strategy for reentry into Sunday morning gatherings. And I won't go into all those details again, but right now we are planning a phased approach with a target date of July 12th for public Sunday morning gatherings. And I realize for some of you, that might seem very far away. And for others of you, you might still have concerns about what meeting together is gonna to look like. And of course, we'll continue to evaluate the situation as things move forward within our state and our county and our city. But what I wanna ask of you during this season is to have passion with patience. Now, I can't 
take credit for that phrase that actually came up during a conversation I was having with a friend of mine, but I couldn't get past how fitting those words are for our church during this time. You know, you don't usually think of those two things going together, but it is absolutely what is necessary. You know, one of the core values of our church culture is that we exude passion. And we define that as an intentional response. So when I say I want you to have passion in this season, what I mean is I want you to engage with the church like never before. Look, the weather's going to get nicer. Some things that we've missed are beginning to return. And I'm going to ask of you to lock into church this season more than in summers past. Maybe you normally wouldn't think about joining a summer group, but this is the season for you to join a summer group. Maybe you wouldn't normally think of inviting your friends to church in this season, but I want to tell you, invite more friends now than you ever have before. Maybe you wouldn't normally join a team, but we're actually offering Growth Track online. We've never done that before. So you can find out the details about that on our website, but it's all in preparation for when we do resume gatherings at our venues. I want to ask you to give more passion to the church now because there's a lot about this time that isn't normal. And with our phase plan in place, we're going to be more effective with passion. But I also want to ask you to practice patience because the truth is, so many things are opening up. July seems like a long way off, but I want us to practice patience. I mean, if this church was just about me, we would have opened services yesterday, but because I miss you. I mean, I, I want to see you guys, but this church has never been about me. And the truth is, this church isn't about you either if you're part of this church. It's about the people that aren't here yet. We exist to bring those far from God near to life in Christ, and we believe the best way we can do that is by offering the best online experience that you can get and then waiting to open until we can offer a better physical location-based experience than what you can get online. Because we're here to reach people far from God. So that is what we're going to do. And if you want more details on our plan, you can contact us or look for my video update online. Now, I know that was a long introduction, but I do have a sermon I want to preach to you today. Because we are in the second week of a series we started last week called Good Medicine. And what we're learning in this series is the foundational beliefs of Christianity. The reason I wanted to do this series is because there are a lot of wrong beliefs out there. I mean, there's wrong beliefs about who God is and what he's done for us, what it means to believe in Jesus. I mean, some people are like, do I really have to believe all that stuff that's in the Bible? Do I have to believe in the virgin birth. Did he really die and rise from the dead? Or can you just take his teachings and, you know, like the things he said about love and trust him for salvation? Can you just do that? And those are the kind of things I want to answer in this series, Good Medicine. Because we can't cover the whole counsel of Scripture in one series, I framed this up last week by saying, let's focus on the essentials. And we did that by introducing to you the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed itself isn't found in the Bible, but the beliefs that it summarizes absolutely are. And this is what it says. If you know it, we can say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God 
the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, hey, if you said that from memory, good job. I am proud of you. But for our message today, I want to talk about the first part of the creed, which is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And to begin, I want to use this scripture from Genesis 1.1. It says this, first this, God created the heavens and earth, all you see and all you don't see. You know, it's fascinating to me that the very first words of the Bible is this, in the beginning, God. It doesn't even take time to say, oh, wait, I know you don't know who God is. Let me explain that to you. Let me give you context so you can trust him. It just starts with this reality that God exists and always has existed. So you got to get this truth in your spirit that God is the only entity in existence whose reason for existence is within himself. He wasn't made for something or from something. He is pre-existent. And I realize that tackling the subject of understanding God in a mere 20 minutes or whatever time I have left might seem like an exercise in futility because, I mean, how can our minds, our finite minds, even really understand and fathom something which we can't absorb? Well, I'm going to do my best to answer that question in this message I'm calling Founding Father. You see, that's why scripture begins with this statement. First this. God created the heavens and the earth. All you see and all you don't see. Because the foundation of our faith begins with the one who created it all. The foundation of our faith begins with God. Now, there are a lot of things you can believe about God. I mean, you, if you simply go by your experience, a lot of us are going to end up with varying definitions and results. If we look at philosophers, we're going to walk away with different thoughts. If we study different theologians, we are going to wind up with all of these incredible terms like God is sovereign, God is holy, he's omniscient, he's immutable. And all of these are great until your experience runs against whatever you thought or studied about him. That's why when it comes to understanding God, I want to narrow it down to two key areas for you today. God is a mighty creator and a merciful father. He is the founding father. You see, you can't separate his sovereignty from him relationally. You, you got to, all of his attributes, you got to remember they're connected to who he is relationally. Even his immutability would be unbearable if we were to separate it from his goodness. God is creator and father. To know him begins with understanding him as such. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about God. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the proper study of a Christian is the Godhead the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his father. I love that. <laughs> the greatest thing we can ever engage with with our mind is the name, the nature, the person of the God we call father. Now, why is that important? 
because right beliefs about God and the Godhead are good medicine. Charles Spurgeon, he actually went on to say, in contemplating Christ, there is a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a healing for every grief. In the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a cure for every sore. Good medicine starts with knowing God, the mighty creator and merciful Father. Now, the scripture I read in Genesis talks about how God created it all. You see all you see and all you don't see. And there are plenty of scriptures that describe his power, how he made the world. He formed it with his words. He upholds it through his understanding. In fact, it would take more time than we have together in this sermon just to quote to you all the scriptures that describe God's great power. There's one that says he calls out all the stars by name. I can even keep my kids' names straight. I only have four. But can I tell you, that is infinitesimally small compared to the one billion trillion stars in the observable universe. I said a billion trillion. Now let's just say, for the sake of example, you are going to count a trillion. Not a billion, a trillion with a tr, all right? It would take you over, if you were counting one star per second, it would take you over 31,709 years before you got through them all. Now just keep in mind, you have a billion more of those trillions to count. And that's God. And he calls them by name. Notice I said the observable universe. Because we can't observe all the universe. We, we only see a small part of it. And yet God calls all of these stars by name. That's a mighty God. Think about this, the sun, 92 million miles away from us, and yet we feel its heat. It's the closest star that we know. It's not even the biggest star, but it's the closest star. There's a star that's called Betelgeuse, not like the movie. I could never watch that movie as a kid, but there's this star called Betelgeuse. It's a big star. It's 700 times the size of the sun. And why am I telling you that? Because we can fit one million of our Earths inside our sun, and there's a star that's 700 times bigger than our sun. There are some, sun, some stars that are so big, they estimate it could, you could put an entire solar system in them. And this is the universe that we know as we know it in the ways that we can observe it. And the Bible says God measures it with the span of his hand. Just like, wow. just, just like that, all right? You can't dismiss the greatness, the might of God. Now, of course, it takes faith to believe in God because we've never met him face to face. I haven't met him. You haven't met him face to face. But even if you don't believe that there's a God, you're still exercising faith because the statement, I believe in God or I don't believe in God are both statements of faith. Or to put it another way, to believe that God created the universe and everything in it or to believe that nothing created something, both take faith. Now, I'm not an apologist. I'm a pastor. An apologist is someone who gives a defense for their faith. In fact, one of the greatest Christian apologists and intellectual thinkers passed away this past week, Ravi Zacharias. And if you've never heard of him, I'd encourage you to just Google him. But he said this, that God often reinforces our faith after we trust him, not before. And the reason is because scripture tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we have to understand that there is evidence that's available but faith is a matter of the heart. And that's what God is always after. He is after your heart. And he's after your heart.
Because he's not just a mighty creator, he's a merciful father. You see, to only focus on his power is to miss out on his character. It's like going to the gym and skipping leg day. Like if you are doing that, you are gonna walk away in balance. Also a side note, most people will make fun of you for that, okay? It is one of the primary blunders. The first of which is never get involved in a land war in Asia. The second but less known is don't skip leg day and don't separate God's might from his mercy. He's not just a mighty creator, but he is a merciful father. All this power, but he chose to adopt us, to love us and be in relationship with us. And here would be something that's important for you to know. You might want to write this down. It's that all of us are the creation of God, but only those who receive Christ become the children of God. We're all God's creation, but only when we receive Christ are we his children. When you receive Jesus, you become a child of God. In fact, this truth of knowing God as Father was at the center of a lot of Jesus' teachings. You have to understand, this concept would have been profound in the times of Jesus. This was actually the very reason that the Jewish leaders crucified Jesus, because he called himself the Son of God, and he called God his Father. To the Jews, this would have seemed like blasphemy, but this is how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. He said, hey, when you pray, pray our Father, hallowed be your name. God, you're holy, you're powerful, you're mighty, but you're, you're also my Father. You're mighty, but you're merciful. You're creator, but you're compassionate. You're powerful, but you're patient. Now, for those of us who have good dads, when we hear this news, we're immediately happy. And in some ways, because we think, like, if God's like my awesome dad or even if you just have a healthy image of a father, it doesn't have to be your dad. If God's like that, if God's like a good father, then this news can be really encouraging. Unfortunately, though, for a lot of us, that's not the reality. Because when we hear father, the term comes with a lot of baggage, it comes with a lot of pain, it comes with a lot of disappointment, a lot of hurt, a lot of memories. Maybe it comes with fear, or maybe it comes with unresolved issues. It's so foundational and formative that we know God is Father, and yet when we hear it, many of us start thinking about all of the issues and emotions we have with our Father. And if that would be you today, I almost think God reveals himself as Father for the very sake that we have to really do business with our own Father issues. You know, most of us, we don't have mama drama. We've got dad hurt. We've got pain in our past. And in calling us to a relationship where we can know him as Father, God is calling us to healing. He's calling us to forgiveness. He's calling us to deal with our issues. And what's interesting is that Jesus didn't hold back when he talked about our earthly Father compared to our heavenly Father. In teaching the disciples where he said, pray this way, he gave an example of what he meant. In Luke 11, he says, earthly fathers are evil, but your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the crazy part about this is that when he gives an example of an earthly father, he gives an example of something I would consider good. It doesn't sound evil. He says, if a son asks for bread from any of you who's a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The point is that even the best fathers are broken. Even the best dads 
aren't blameless. You know, I like to think I'm a pretty good dad, but I know there's times where I miss it. I know there's times where I cause pain that I wish could have been avoided. I don't want to, but it happens. But scripture reveals God as a father who can give us everything we're missing in an earthly father, no matter how good or how bad they might be. And here's the reason this is important. If your image of a father is broken, your relationship with God will be fractured. If your image of a father's broken, you're going to have a fractured image of God. We have a lot of misconceptions about God. A lot of us, if we're honest, we, we would have to be honest with ourselves and say, we place God in this category as bad cop. Now, you might not use those words, but it's how you think of God the Father in the Trinity theologically, like the God of the Old Testament, like he's this vengeful, wrathful God, but I'm cool with Jesus because, you know, he was so chill and full of love and compassion, and like, I like him because he had a lamb around his neck, like, I love that picture. He's great. And because of wrong beliefs, we've pitted the Father against the Son, but nothing could be further from the truth. See, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. That's why I wanted to use the word merciful Father. One, because... I needed an M for alliteration, but also because it accurately portrays his heart. See, God isn't waiting up in heaven looking for the times when you mess up. And if it wasn't for Jesus, you would be a grease spot on the ground. No, God sent Jesus to reconcile you to himself. He's a merciful father. Scripture says this, that all of this, what's this? The, the life you have comes from God. He's the one who brought us to himself when we hated him. He did this through Christ. Then he gave us the work of bringing others to him. Think about this. We were adopted into God's family. We've been invited into the same relationship with the mighty creator that Jesus, his son, demonstrated. He did it willingly. An adoptive father has a choice. He didn't have to have a relationship with you. He wasn't stuck with you. He wanted you. If you're a Jesus follower, you have a God that wants to be your father. He went through all that trouble to adopt you and bring you into a relationship with him. Why? Because yes, God is powerful, but he's also personal. How does that creed start again? I believe in God, the father, almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Mighty creator, but a merciful father. With all of his might, he chose to give you grace. And with all of his grace, he invites you to know his power. And with all of that power that is available to him, the power that with an outstretched arm he made the world, he chose to humble himself with Jesus, stretch out both arms to make you whole, to die for you, to save you, to lavish his love upon you. That's what's so amazing about our great father. To go back to my original question, how do you understand God? How can our finite minds ever really understand and fathom that which we could never absorb? Well, I think about Jesus. When he was asked to describe what the kingdom of God was like, he took a child, brought him into the middle of the conversation, and said, unless you become like one of these, you can't understand God. You see, you've got to know him as father. He's a mighty creator, but he's a merciful father. And with everything that there is to know about God, the best knowledge that you can have of God is the knowledge that he lives in you, that you've accepted him into your heart. 
That's what God wants for you today. You can't do anything about the fact that God is your creator, but you don't have to have him as your father. That's up to you. He chose you. But the question is, will you accept him? If you're willing to put your faith in him, you get to be his son or daughter. And it would be my privilege to lead you in a prayer so that you can know God as father today. In fact, I believe there are really two invitations. The first is there are some of you who are saved. You've accepted Jesus. You've trusted in him for salvation. But you've never really got to know God as father. If that's you, I want to begin by saying a prayer for you, that this message would come and meet you where you're at. Maybe it's because of issues you've had with your earthly father. Maybe it's because of wrong beliefs, wrong teaching, where you've pitted the father against the son. I believe God wants to come through this screen today, and he wants to help you know him as a merciful father. Would you bow your head while I pray with you? God, I thank you for this word. And I pray, Lord, that we would know you as Father. That we wouldn't just think about what you've done through your Holy Spirit. We wouldn't just think about the mission of Jesus. But that we would see you, your plan from the beginning of time when you created the world. You were always about reconciling us back to you. You are full of mercy. You are full of grace. Yes, you're powerful. Yes, you're mighty. Yes, you're sovereign, but you are a good and loving and merciful Father. Help us all to see that today. I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there is another invitation that I want to give, and that's for those of you who have never accepted what God has done through his son, Jesus. See, God loves you so much, the most famous scripture. God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus to take your place. He wanted to reconcile you back to himself. He wanted you to know him as father. But to do that, you have to trust in what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He was beaten and bloodied. He took upon him not only your punishment, but your sin. He died, he was buried, and he rose again so that you could have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. If you would like to make that decision today, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not magic words, it's faith-filled words. And I would ask that everybody at home, you're watching this with your family, let's say this together for, those who, for the sake of those who are with you. Let's pray, you can repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my need for you. I believe in what you did for me how you died on the cross for my sin. And you got up from the grave. Come live in me so that I can live in you and know God as Father. I receive it right now. Amen.